0: Good, good. How are you, my fellow hipstorian?
1: Yeah. I think we're having great crack doing this, aren't we, so far? So far, it's been great fun. We've had some pretty
0: amazing guests so far, haven't we? Like, you know, the the variety of people
1: we've managed to coax, to lure into our, into our, well, that's it, and it goes everything from you know yeah. archaeology, archaeology. So with Tom and he was great. Uh, that episode is is out, uh, is out there uh, number three, and that was brilliant. One really, really, enjoyed doing that. Um, and uh, this guy coming on is uh, an ex-navy seal this evening, Chuck. Yeah, we were debating yeah. about his name, Chuck, and you said that you know how to pronounce his name. I do, but I will hold on to that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I got to ask well yeah okay well I I can ask when he comes on but yeah he's like a, a, a real the real deal a navy seal not only that but a member a leader commander of uh the
1: famous ctm uh, 6 that was his last uh yeah that was his last uh command um,
0: these were the guys that these were the guys that famously took down Osama bin Laden
1: correct correct and and he I'm sure he'll tell us all about it So, Derek,
0: just before we came on, we were talking about this. We're really looking forward to Mm -hmm. um, our our next guest. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Chuck, before, first question, right? And this is coming from somebody who has a really difficult to pronounce surname, myself. My surname is 15 letters long. <laughs> you don't get it right, it's ridiculous, right? It's just you shortened yours, Neil. You shortened yours for years. I did shorten it, but my mother yeah, gave out yeah. to me, so it's back yeah. to, to, to what it is, which is which is Featherstone Hall. Okay, so we'll, 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 that's another time for another story, Chuck. Now, your first name, you can't get more American than Chuck, right? That's full on, sorry, right? Central. How do you pronounce your surname?
2: Uh, it's Farrer like uh, farther away and the funny thing is that uh, genetic testing has proven and the family knows i'm about as irish as you can get i'm charles patrick <laughs> my brother sean michael okay. my sister colleen mary and my little sister Katie. Right. okay and so I have, the swiss, I have a swiss surname because my uh, my great grandfather emigrated from switzerland
1: oh, right here
0: you're probably more Irish than I am, then, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a name like Featherstonehaugh, you know.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not Max no,
0: Proud to It's proud to not O oh, Featherstonehaugh. It's just featherston oh, yeah. So I get, I get, I get a lot of stick over it sometimes, as like from the landed Brit. The West Brits that came over and uh, um, occupied Ireland, <laughs> so it's like you know, there's probably a bit oh, of history there. But uh, enough, look enough about enough about our history. Let's try and cover. I, I don't know. I genuinely, Mac Derek, I don't know where to begin with this man. We've got a real yeah, well, Navy Seal in in the yeah. house, which is just. There's so many aspects to your career, Chuck, that we could pick one of them and speak about it for the next, you know, for the rest of the interview. But we're gonna try and cover as much as we can. I mean, you don't get much higher or more exciting as as you know from the kid that's in me to be to be speaking to a real live Navy SEAL straight off the bat, and one that I suppose was associated with or even commanded, like one of the most famous elements of of the of the famous Navy SEALs. Indeed, the the unit that eventually went and took down Osama bin Laden. So that's yeah, that which, was, uh, yeah. That's what we're kicking off. I uh, know. You're- Wrote a book about that it was quite controversial. We'll, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But do you still consider yourself a Navy SEAL? Are you are you once a Navy SEAL, always a Navy SEAL?
2: Well, I, I guess I would flatter myself to say that. I'm uh I'm also glad to say that sort of like Bat Masterson, the favorite famous American gunfighter, I knew when to hang up my guns. So okay. I <laughs> got I got out at the top of my game. And believe it or not, when I got out of the Navy, I was gonna go to medical school to be a psychiatrist. Right. My my degree is actually in clinical psychology. If for all the good that's done me,
1: but uh, interesting.
2: You find yourself uh, the community is very small. Uh, You find yourself gravitating back into contracting, et cetera, et cetera. So for a long time, I had a white career, white side career, Hollywood author, and I've been contracting as a counterterrorism contractor and intelligence analyst for. The last
1: 25 years, also. Okay. 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 So that's it. Well, the clinical psychologist uh, part, I'd say, would certainly uh, have been helpful for the writing, I would have thought. It,
2: it, you know, it does, but there's oftentimes, you know, I didn't major in English as much as I loved it. Okay. As much as I loved literature, but I didn't think that I was going to be able to make a living at it. I didn't know that I would eventually do that. Yeah. uh, but you're right. The, the clinical psychology has helped a lot in in writing and character development and those things.
0: So, so it was it was obviously the military first before any you thought of any career in in writing. Chuck, is that is that right? Did it, it just never occurred to you when you had did you you didn't have like a like a fork in the road that you made a choice left or right? You just went straight into the military. Well, I,
2: I, I did. The funny thing was like a lot of uh, middle-class juvenile delinquents, I was sent to military school okay. as a young man. Absolutely. And I happened to go be sent to the toughest one there was at the time, which was a, a Virginia military school called Stanton Military Academy. Mm. Uh, if you've ever seen the Lords of Discipline, that is pretty much what it was. Mm. Uh, I'm a third-generation naval officer Um I had an appointment to the Naval Academy after high school, but I just thought, no way. I just went through all this. I'm a big surfer and a snowboarder, and I went to California to college. Um, and But again, you know, I, I, I did go into the military first, but I sold two screenplays while I was on active duty, wow. and therefore, there for a while, I was the only Naval officer in the world with a William Morris agent, <laughs> so... <laughs> it, uh, it, 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 careers pulled me both, both ways there.
0: Gotcha, both ways there. And then obviously, you know, your contracting work that you do now, like, does that bring you all around the world? Is that something that is involves a lot of travel at the moment?
2: Well, yeah, not so much at the moment. Uh, what I'm doing right now a lot is uh, I'm working in the information space uh, for the Ukrainian-Russian war. I do a lot of mapping. Battle analysis. I'm doing that now completely in in the white side. I'm doing it on Twitter, so I have a big uh, Twitter following uh, map daily, and uh, just I, I I like to say I translate between the technical military sites and just regular civilians. So I do maps with big blue arrows and big red arrows, so people can just understand.
0: Understand and, uh, exactly. Give it a clear picture, and you know we won't. Well, we'll go into it a little bit. So what is going on? What What is actually happening in Ukraine? And I, Derek, you, you've got a strong opinion on this because I don't know, Chuck, in some parts of the West, it does feel like we're only seeing or hearing one side of the story. That's something you believe, Derek, isn't it, in terms of... What's actually
1: yeah, I, I, no. In fairness, yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just not sure. And, and as much as on the, the Russian side, are they're not getting told what you know we're being told? Uh, I think there's a, a blank spot there, and uh, we're we're just not, you know, in. I suppose what 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 I would feel uh, is that. You know the the Ukrainians are being used as a proxy to to fight uh, Putin, um, and you know it's a little bit of a a buffer there um, from the West. And like I'm not putting this on, and this is Europe, you know, as well that we're we're literally, you know, using this as a as as a place to to sort putin out i'm just there's a few things i'm just unsure of i i know this is just like this propaganda in every single battle in every single war and you're always trying to happen and disseminate where the truth is coming from uh, and i suppose that's really the question and you know and i'm sure you'll give your honest answer and you know i'm sure you've got a very strong opinion about it which is great because that's exactly what we want to get to you know and, and see how you feel about
2: it well uh, first of all i never underestimate the perfidy of of nation-states But uh, I I would say this, you know, Ukraine didn't start this war. It began in 2014. And it was uh, just kind of, you know, a backburner story. Uh, The Russian side of the story at that point was told much more than the Ukrainian side. Mm. And the Russians would have you to believe that the Ukrainians who were fighting them in Luhansk and Donetsk and Kherson and Crimea, that everyone who fought them was a tattooed Nazi thug mercenary from Europe. And that categorically wasn't the truth, you know? And I'd also say this, the the long history of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine uh, is pretty damning for Moscow. Just, and I won't, I won't go into a history lesson, but in the late thirties, a politically induced famine mm-hmm. caused by Joseph Stalin yeah. starved to death more than four million Ukrainians starved them in their homes. Yeah. So, uh, and again, but but listen, you, you are right. I, I I do not disagree with you. Yeah. Every time I hear something, and this is what I try to do in my Twitter stream, and I remind people constantly: if you have an instrument, an information source, think first who is telling me this, and what would they like me to think. Yeah. and you won't go very far astray if you always do that including information from ukrainians and russians and and nato and everyone else just a little bit of skepticism and triangulate your information that's what i try
1: to do yeah yeah no it's it's very good and do you do you think in any way that that russia has a case to make for feeling Threatened, you know. And again, I know, this is one of the arguments that they're putting forward. That obviously, this is the 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 push of NATO towards them. You know, is making and and you know, Russia when it feels threatened. If you go back through history, you know, it, it's got a big bite. You know, um, but I wonder, is there any basis to that? You think this is this all completely? This is just you know, fictitious uh, stuff and story making on their part. Well, it. I, I, I would
2: I would say this. I think that this war probably started because, uh, and I would say this, first it was preceded by Russian aggression against Chechnya, against Georgia, against Abkhazia. And I think, and I agree with you, there. this war was started because Mr. Putin wanted NATO off his front porch, right? But what he's done through this invasion is Seven months ago, NATO was almost irrelevant. It was almost irrelevant. Now he he's he's because of his invasion, 70 years of Finnish neutrality has been ended. 70 years of Swedish neutrality has been ended. He didn't like what was going on in, to to the west of him. Now the Baltic Ocean is a NATO lake. The strategic blowback and the absolute failures. They're astounding. And I will always admit this. I never thought he would invade. Really? Bad. I thought by positioning his forces and banging his drum, mm. he brought the whole world to force to consider his demands. Everyone was paying attention. Mm. But once he rolled in, that was it. And then whatever high ground he might have had morally, Bucha, Hostamel,
1: mm.
2: these horrendous massacres. Look, this force is morally bankrupt. I'm also going out on a limb here. I think when we look back from 2025, we've already reached the point where the tide has changed. This war won't be over by Christmas or the next two years, but we've seen the two military systems, a Western ethos system where battlefield initiative is is expected and the system top-down micromanagerial uh, Two tremendous offensives are going on right now. The Ukrainians are kicking the Russians' butt. That shouldn't be happening, but it
0: is. Momentum is changing. And why why is that happening? Like before that date in February, when when he went over the border, the, the Russian military was much. Would it be fair to say it was a much vaunted and um, force? Yes. That we didn't really know much about. I mean, apart from being, from being involved in in. What would be almost the equivalent to these colonial wars in Chechnya, like yes. you mentioned in Afghanistan, we didn't really know much about. I mean, we can see their hardware. We can see the lines of mass troops in Red Square on May Day. I mean, they looked pretty much the real deal, yeah. right? But we didn't. They were an unknown quantity until they crossed the border on that that fateful February day. And since then, it, as you said, in, in your vernacular, they've had their ha- asses handed to them. So, like, are, are they, and we're hearing these stories about conscripts now, you know, the mobilization, and they, they, they're they given, like, zero training, sent straight in as cannon fodder, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. sleeping, no no sleeping bags. They're, they're pulling out rusted AK-4. Well, I guess my question is, like, are you, from a mil- military perspective, were you surprised at just how bad they are or did you see this that it, coming that they would just fall apart as soon as they were confronted with a reasonable force?
2: I I didn't think they'd fall apart right away, but after uh, there the the thrust on on Kiev uh, came from the north from Belarus. When that collapsed and it collapsed precipitously, mm. I was trying to map it. Uh, the Russian units fell to pieces. They lost all command and control. Uh, two of their most elite parachute VDV uh, mm-hmm. brigades were defeated in in Hostomel. They went they went on a rampage of rape and murder and looting, and that was the point at which I realized that they were they were still a potent force, but they were a brittle force. Mm. Right. Um, the Ukrainians also. Putin went into this with the best plan he had from 1983, right? 1983, Cold War, Russian tanks to the front, mechanized infantry to the rear, shock and awe, drive all the way to the English Channel. Okay, the Ukrainians very cleverly—they never tried to meet armored division on armored division. They never tried it. They when when they were getting hammered, they split into platoon-sized groups. Mm-hmm in and hit the soft targets: logistics, command and control, mm. uh, ammunition depots, fuel depots, and and they blunted the assault, and then they grounded to a halt. Um, that you know that thrust onto Kiev. Look, that was the principle. Our best guys. We're rolling into Kiev, and we're going to knock this city out in seventy-two hours. And when those guys packed it across the border. I suspected this was over. But here's a key statistic for this war. If Russians lose 100 vehicles on the battlefield, 38 of them, tanks, armored personnel carriers, trucks, missile systems, 38 of them are abandoned. Doors open, windshield wipers going, and the crew runs away. Okay. You can't fight a war if you're going to lose almost 40%
1: of your stuff before a bullet's fired. Yeah, you can't replace material that fast, yeah. No, yeah. And,
0: and the training. And why yeah. are they, why, a very sim- simple question, maybe with a simple answer, why are they running away? I, you know, to,
2: I, I can't answer that question, but, but I could put this out here. As a naval officer, as a guy who served in, in NATO, I, I can't imagine hearing a report where the crew of a Patriot missile battery just ran away from it, not even throwing a hand grenade into the control trailer, which would do a lot of damage, but per- perfectly intact. Some of the things that have been captured are are just they're they're the shopping list for the CIA: anti-saddle jamming systems, S300 missile batteries. Uh, the most sophisticated equipments they have, brand new T-90 tanks. It, it, it's unfathomable. However, uh, look, this mobilization is coming too late. Yeah. Look, if you grab a guy off a street and give him a pair of boots and a pair of cami pants, he's not a soldier. Mm. Just, just yeah. six months is basic training. And all you really learn then is high-pressure janitorial work, mm. how to shine your shoes and clean your rifle not fight. Yeah. yeah. And we, we've already seen that these mobilized people, they're making videos where they all stand together and they've elected a spokesman and they're complaining, I'm not getting paid, we don't have... It. Look, that is mutiny. Yeah. That's insubordination. Yeah. <clears throat> Those guys aren't going to make soldiers. And look, I don't want to see them die either. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But but, but even, I posit this, even, even Russia now, you know, as if, you know, rewind the tape back to the to the start of the invasion. Russia historically doesn't tend to be a good offensive force. They're, you know, they're a nation that fights best in defense. Look at World War One, you know, look at Afghanistan, you know, they they, they tend not to do to, to do too well, you know?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I you know, like I say, I'm not predicting the end of the war, but I, I'm saying categorically, I, I'm of the opinion that look, the, the momentum has shifted. Uh, we have two contrasting uh, uh, command theories of command principles of warfare, and I don't see Russia uh, being able to change uh, their battlefield tactics in time to effect this war. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't see it. And and this is this is a home game for the Ukrainians, and it's an away game for the Russians. Yeah, and that
0: so that, that's that it. counts yeah. for a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah for sure. you can't predict
0: the end, Chuck, like, you know, obviously for the rest of us in, in Europe watching on, it's starting to have an effect here True, um, obviously, you know, you're fully aware of it, but we're starting to feel it now. It's October. I'm sitting here in my, my house Dublin. I'm looking at, and you know, the change is literally in the air. It's getting cooler. Kids are putting the rain jackets on and it's unbelievable. The number of price increases in our gas and electricity since what the last few weeks, Derek? There's been yeah, yeah, been yeah, of, and we're talking not three percent that they would, you know, apply just just as because they're a business. We're talking like in cases like thirty percent, you know, twenty four percent. Yeah, already
1: been- we've we've seen hundred percent increases in, in like diesel and petrol, you know. So you know, yeah. in a short space of time, so yeah. And, like, there's a few reasons for that.
0: There, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of factors to that. But the number one, one that keeps reoccurring or, or is said to be the cause is the, the war in Ukraine. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're saying you can't predict, you don't see the end of it by Christmas. You don't see the end of it by, mm-hmm. by, by next year. Like... No, I don't. It, it's pretty, like, at the start, we were all watching from the sidelines, you know, we're not directly involved, you know, here in Ireland we feel quite distant from it as an island as well but it's starting to seriously encroach on our day-to-day lives here and to hear that this is there's no immediate or near end to it, it it's quite quite scary isn't it Derek like it's starting to feel like it's it's Getting closer.
1: Yeah, no, like, and, I, and I, I think if if Ukraine was to push forward and really try and reclaim the lands that they have lost at the moment, the ones that have you know have been annexed uh, in inverted commas, um, then I I would be fearful for what if 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 Putin is in command of his generals and you know subordinates, uh, I would be fearful of him resorting to uh, using. Uh, nuclear weapons. I do feel he's mad enough to do that.
2: Well, you know, I I have some opinions on 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 that as well. But I want, you know, look, I own up to what I did. Look, I was a guy who never thought he would invade. Okay, so this is coming for me. But regarding the regarding the use of uh, of nuclear weapons. Uh, people people throw out all the time tactical nuclear weapons as as opposed to the Dr. Strange end of the world, right? Okay. Well, there has never been a tactical use of nuclear weapons. No one has ever used one tactically on a battlefield. So traditionally, nuclear weapons address strategic targets. What is a strategic target? In the case of Ukraine, a strategic target would be a heavily industrialized area that produced vital commodities for their for the economy okay well ukraine doesn't have you though therefore and this this is important for putin to use a nuclear weapon he would have to address the only targets that made any credible sense and unfortunately and horrifyingly those are population centers mm. and i and i just want to say this if mr putin decided to nuke kiev and incinerate 2 million people in an afternoon. Mm. It would require an immediate and catastrophic action to be taken against the Russian military, and here is why. Mm. If Kyiv goes up like that, 22 minutes later, it could be Warsaw. It could be Helsinki. It could be Stockholm. It could be Frankfurt. So... Look, Mr. Putin knows this. He has strategic advisors as well. Uh, uh, it uh, therefore, I don't think that it will happen. But again, look, I misread him on the invasion. Um, but but, look, I think that were he to do that, he's he's going to get, he's going to get incredible pushback by his military because one of his generals is going to say to him, okay, sir, what happens if the Americans say, okay, you nuke Kiev, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna nuke Rostov. Are you willing to accept that? And, okay, sir, we nuke Kiev. What if the United States just launches one half of a strategic strike? What if they just take out Everything from Moscow to the border, is that acceptable? No. No. Look, guys, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. But I hope and I pray it doesn't happen.
0: Like, is it something that that would actually keep you up at night, Chuck? And should it be keeping the rest of us up at night? I mean, we've got enough on our plates at the moment, you know, rather than this big picture stuff to be worried about. But are we kind of a bit naive here as far west as we are here in Ireland to be not sitting up at night and worrying about this. I know, I know that doesn't achieve anything, but you know, in, in, Oh, no,
2: it's, you, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up during the, during the cold war and I was a little boy during the uh, Cuban missile crisis. Mm. I mean, I remember, I'm one of those kids that they used to get under your desk and say, oh, duck and cover. And, and cover. even as a kindergartner, I would look up at the underside of the desk and go, are you kidding me? Mm. Are we talking about nuclear weapons? You want me under my desk? <laughs> but, you know what? It, it, it doesn't keep me up at night for, for, for these reasons. If, if Russia wanted to start a nuclear war, it's not just the United States that resists them, right? France is an independent nuclear power. They have ballistic missile submarines at sea right now. Britain is an independent nuclear power. Uh, the United States, every Ohio-class ballistic missile submarine is the third largest nuclear entity on Earth. I, I, I just don't think that it would start it. I do think, however, that that such talk is doing just what he wants it to do. And that is to worry reasonable men mm. to make us. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, yeah. that is it as the nuclear weapon goes.
1: That's just what he's doing. And it's it's working. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So one th- one thing um, I do take a bit of comfort uh, from what you say there, Chuck. So we'll hope you're you're, you're right on that one. Um, certainly. So there was when we were uh, corresponding just about coming on the show. Um, uh, you know, we, we were getting into the whole thing, and you know, obviously that that you were an Navy Seal and talk about uh, your your experiences there. And you mentioned um, a very interesting piece of history and about a novel and a character uh, called Philip Nolan um you might like to tell us a little bit more about that i, I was really I, I did i looked up and went wow okay that is a curious story um for sure yeah so this is the, this is the man without a country
0: and you, you yeah. said it's based on a novella by edward everett hale so you might have to tell us a little bit about that chuck because we, we don't know that much about it but before you launch into it i just find it fascinating that i'm a writer myself that you could you've written obviously you know non books based on your 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 own personal experiences and you know which we may not have time to get into because i know uh, derek's keen to talk to you about this work but warrior soul the memoir of a navy seal you know real true action gritty stuff and then i really wanted to talk about uh, you know your the the, um, geronimo book as well which was a bit controversial and you know i was watching news clips of you uh on on cnn in various places around the time that um was his his nom de guerre was it Owen? That wasn't his real name. It was Matt and um, Isn't it? Right. His book was coming out, yeah. and he was getting a lot of flack over that as well for breaking the bond of the brotherhood, as it, as it were. Whereas you had to kind of defend like some of, some of the 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 uh, sort of how you outlined how the raid went in as well, and you were very able to, to stand over it. So you know, but I'll let, I'll let Derek have his. <gasps> Yeah. Yeah. give me five minutes on this and then we go yeah. yeah. so the point being just to finish my point that you can you can tell those sorts of real life non-fiction stories. you've got to get your facts right you're a journalist you know you need to check everything out but then you have this ability to switch into into stories that are based on real life but you can add your own kind of imagination to it which must be it's obviously a different discipline and uh yeah, so tell us, on a long questions, question there, fact, tell us about this one in particular, and then I'll ask you how you switch one to the other.
2: Well, uh, the first novel I wrote was called Killing Che, and it was based on uh, the death of Che Guevara in Bolivia. And I took Guevara's diary, and I made it match completely with with a with a combination character I invented, uh, named Paul Hoyle, based on my mother's maiden name, and he is in charge of hunting Mr. Guevara down in Bolivia. And it was as close to the truth absolutely as I could make it, except there was no Paul Hoyle. Um, I had always loved this story, The Man Without a Country. It's it's kind of American classic that uh, in my generation we all read in school it was written in 1863 in the middle of the American Civil War, and it uh, it was fiction. But many people in the United States came to think of it as real. It was so well written, that they thought it actually happened. And it involves a man named Philip Nolan, who became involved with one of the biggest American traders in history, a guy named Aaron Burr, who was the vice president but just went off the rails and decided he was going to set up his own country in the Louisiana Purchase. And this young officer, again, fictitious, but Mr. Burr is real. This young officer becomes involved with Burr, fascinated with him, thinks he's a dynamic man of history. And when plan collapsed, uh, Burr was actually brought to trial. This is true. But he was acquitted. He was acquitted by good lawyers. But this, this character, Philip Nolan, he's court-martialed. And uh, military law is not the same as civil law, so he's court-martialed. And he's so disgusted at his court-martial before they sentence him, he say, is there anything you'd like to say uh, on behalf of the United States? And he says, sir, God damn the United States. I never care if I hear those two words again as long as I live. And the judge sentence him to that and he's put on board a series of American warship the next 20 years, sailing around the oceans like a flying Dutchman, never to hear the words United States ever again. <laughs> and so I picked the story up. That's where the story ends for uh, Mr. Everett Hale. But I pick it up 20 years later. Philip Noem has been at sea for 20 years, and he becomes involved in rescue mission to save some people kidnapped by Arab corsairs in the Mediterranean. And it's a lesson about patriotism, what it means, what it costs, what friendship means, those those really important things that underlie all that. And I've been a fan of Patrick O'Brien, mm. uh, you know, Horatio Hornblower all my life. So it was so fun to play in the toy box of Fisail.
0: Wow, what an amazing story. And how did, you, yeah. how did you find the original story? Like, you know, was it was it always something that was like Che Guevara is a fairly well known one. I'd never heard of this before, had you, Derek? This this is No.
1: No. It's probably yeah, uh, yeah, not over the side of the Atlantic anyhow.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is it was he always on your mind to to write about this? Well
2: both it's funny, both of those characters were always on my mind as I was sort of growing up. You know, I I saw uh, Che being romanticized when I was a young guy. Mm. It's very hard not to sort of uh, to admire someone who who put his money where his mouth's right. And uh, I was a military advisor in Central America. Yes, and Che Guevara was always there in the presence uh, around me. His spirit, his yeah. his his motivations. You know, a lot of times his pictures. And as a young SEAL, I never forgot that Guevara was probably one of the best practitioners of guerrilla warfare in history, and he got killed. Yeah. So I always told myself, you're not as good as you think you are. Wow. And the investigation of Guevara, you know, look, there's good and bad in everyone. And I contrasted this uh, Guevara with this character of Paul Hoyle, which in some way was a little bit of a composite of me because I was prowling around Latin America myself and and dealing with uh allies that were corrupt brutal uh they weren't the kind of people that you would want to associate with
1: Mm. you know
2: uh, it was a lot like graham green you know you're down there things are complex Mm. people are greedy people are venial uh you know Mm. Uh, and and good intentions are never enough they're never enough so interesting still- book. So uh, published by Random House. And uh you, hey, by all means you can get it cheap, I think too.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On Amazon. Yeah. Uh, yes. Great to, to keep adding to your experience. Have, have you any other further adventures uh lined up or you're is the contracting work I'd say you're going to be pretty busy with the contracting work for the next foreseeable?
2: Well, you know what? I'm also uh I, I'm also
1: i uh, using my brain more than my trigger. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> yeah. I, I'd say your brain needs exercise and Chuck, you got an active mind. That's, that, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Just, you know, I, I know you're under a bit of a deadline there, Chuck, you know, um, but we could we'd speak all the evening, Derek, really uh, about this stuff. Just, if I could just mention back about the Geronimo book, which, you know, was quite controversial at the time. Now that with the passage of time, how many years is it now since they've taken down Osama bin Laden? Oh, it's been
2: God. Has it been? I don't know. Is it almost years? I don't.
0: Yeah, I, I <laughs> should do oh, my research. <laughs> that's 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 on me. But you know, well, obviously a lot more has emerged about since you had written the the book itself. Like if you were to go back and write it, was would there be anything you would leave out or anything that you would add in, or do? You, or do you feel you you you're pretty happy at how you got it at the time? Because you know you you were only working off what you could access at the time. I know this as a journalist myself. You know, and you you, you in, with all best interests, you put down what you know you believe is is as close to the truth as possible. And then things change. You know that's that's a naturally occurring thing. And um, well, here's
2: yeah here. Well, he, here's something that uh, I'm going to reveal something that I haven't told uh, anywhere else.
0: Oh, you see, we got a world exclusive. We <laughs> we got, you're, you're, this, is, this
2: is what we know. You're going to have a world exclusive because, look, uh, when I wrote that book, I, I, I had been the commander of that particular unit, Red Squadron, at SEAL Team 6. I'm not going to out any of my sources.
1: Mm. But,
2: look, I know how those targets are hit. The administration principally came after me because my account of the of the raid was different from theirs. Zero Dark Thirty, you see guys blowing indoors and attacking uphill. We don't do that. Mm. We, we don't ring the doorbell and climb the stairs. We land on the roof. Uh, the administration said a helicopter crashed while it was coming into the target. That isn't what happened. Mm. Helicopter landed on the roof the guys jumped off onto a balcony they kicked the windows in they flew they went through the first bedroom into the hall bin laden stuck his head out they pushed the door in and they shot him and it took that long 90 seconds i believe you said 90 <laughs> seconds okay it was not a 45 minute firefight mm-hmm. it didn't happen that way now here's something that that I, my my revelation will astound you mm-hmm. mr owen came out with his book mm-hmm. They made the book retracted. They sued him. They threatened him with prison. Yeah. We all saw what happened to him. Yeah. He had to give back his advance, something like that. Absolutely. To they, took, they took all of that money away from me. Why didn't they do that to me?
1: Mm. Mm.
2: Okay. That's a really interesting question, isn't it? I, I'm a naval officer. Yeah. You know why they didn't do it to me? I submitted my manuscript to the government before the book was published.
0: Yeah, he didn't.
2: Okay. Does this make you think that coming after me from Washington is is a bit odd? Mm,
0: the only difference yeah. that I'd suggest, Chuck, is that because you know you were you were when he wrote his book, wasn't he still in the service? Well, no, he was out. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so.
2: look, those those security termination agreements—they're they're lifelong. Okay. They're lifelong.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I submitted my manuscript it was approved. They went ahead and published it. So one side of the government says, you have your story right. And look, I will also tell this in another world exclusive. They asked me to take some things out. And I did. Okay. And I did. Okay. But they never told me, well, you don't have it right about the top down. And another thing I would say, when the I, I received a copy of Pakistan's They they formed a commission to investigate the raid. That report quoted my book 25 times as the definitive source of of how it happened. Also, witnesses, witnesses saw the helicopter land on the roof. Pakistani witnesses saw it. Usually, a helicopter will fly over a roof, and we fast rope on it. This was a, an unusual case where it actually landed on the roof. So, do I stand by it? At, absolutely, I stand by it, and I said it. I, I said it back on CNN and everywhere else all the time. Look, time will tell.
0: Yeah, you did. Oh, I, saw, I, I saw some of those interviews, and it's it's an amazing achievement to be able to stand over after this passage of time. But you know, with with all sorts of various theories and suggestions, I'm going to go back and read that book now with the, with the benefit of hindsight, as, as, yeah. it, as knowing that it is the real the real deal. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's astonishing, astonishing. Read. Can I supposedly on a, on a sort of a, um, voyeuristic, grisly uh, interests? What did they do with with bin Laden. What what happened there? Can you tell us? Yeah,
2: his his body was extracted, uh, taken with him. Uh, I don't have any reason to doubt the official story that he was buried at sea. Yeah, Uh, taken. The body was first flown back into Afghanistan, uh, loaded onto a carrier capable aircraft, probably a C2. But I I don't know, it could have been a longer lift uh, helicopter, but it was it was buried at sea.
0: And would they have taken uh, pictures yeah. of him? And would there be photographic evidence uh, out there that somehow hasn't appeared on the internet?
2: Yes, there absolutely could be. I, in fact, I, I'd be completely shocked if there wasn't. I am certain that he was given a complete postmortem, yeah. etc. I'm,
0: I'm but, as shocked. I, I'd be as shocked that the fact that it didn't end up on the internet. That's something that these days. Well,
2: the the security, you know, first of all, there, look, there just aren't that many seals. Mm -hmm. There were even fewer of them at SEAL Team 6. If you want to stay in that job, which is the greatest job in the world next to being an astronaut, you just keep your mouth shut. And uh, because I was out, look, you know, I played by the rules in that book. Because, you know, there was this, the the only barbs that actually stuck to me were these people saying, well, Chuck has been kicked out of the SEAL community. Categorically not true. Mm. I get invited every year to the SEAL Team 6 reunion. But you know why? Because I played by the rules. I said, you know, I signed a piece of paper when I got out, and it says, look, if I write a book, the manuscript has to go in. I have always done that. I've always done that. And again, look, if they had any reason to come after me, they came after Owen because he didn't submit his manuscript. Mm -hmm. And, and, and Mr. O'Neill, look, he is persona non grata. Unfortunately, he's the man without a country. I mean, I feel for him actually. Yeah. Because there's this really odd thing that happens in the seals. You, you leave civil society and you join this group of secretive people and your world actually just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. And, uh, you're traveling all over the world with identification that isn't yours and you're doing all these things. And uh, eventually, and look, this is why I got out. Eventually you find that you're on this different planet. You know, you're, you're in a, you're in a different place, but it also makes you see and question. Look, history is told by the victors and it's also told by the people in power and they think that they write the history. And I know, I would say this, SEALs are, are the stagehands on the stage of history. We move the scenery around, and we know what happened. And, you know, and again, it may take a while, but I'm telling you, that is the way it went down. That's the way it went down.
1: Amazing story, Derek. Chuck, I think. Yeah, I I have to say, I have been educated, um, and you are—you are most definitely a man I would love to uh, get to know further. That's for sure. Uh, We're gonna do that.
0: Yeah, like, that would yeah. be a
1: true, true honor. And
0: as they say in the yeah. States, thank you for your service, because it's not just the Americans that, you know, yeah. you're safe. Like, seriously, those guys are out there for all our freedoms. I don't want to sound like I'm too flag waving mm-hmm. here. But, you know, look, I'll just that's just I'll wear it on my sleeve, you know, and um, Chuck, a great note to, to to end on. Um, we will absolutely you know keep you posted when we put this out there. And uh, we'll be we'll be shouting out from the rooftops about the the new works, and yeah. uh, you know keep the penmanship, keep the penmanship going. It obviously suits you, you know. And, and what a, what a great and fantastic varied life, you know, from the yeah. extreme physical element and you know right up to the yeah the whole yeah world. to the literary yeah oh, we, fantastic fantastic.
2: We think good good deals for good seals, but guys, it's been. <laughs> absolute pleasure to talk to you. I hope you you enjoyed
0: as much as we did, um, Chuck. Thanks for all your time, and best of luck. We'll keep you posted on everything.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, guys.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow! Wow! Well, right. Okay. Well, I was expecting half of that. Didn't know that we would end up where we did in the first few minutes, Neil. It was like, whoa! Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I think you could say that was unscripted. The whole thing, uh, just about. Oh, you, could yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can tell. Yeah, you can. You can tell. listeners probably
0: can. Like we're, you know, it's it's almost like you're, we're making it up as we go along, but we don't have to try too hard because we're lucky enough in the guests just like Chuck there, I mean, they, they have just such great stories. It's just, the biggest challenge is, you know, where, where do you begin with yeah. You know, it's not like you're trying to draw out uh, a story from, from these people we've, we've been lucky enough to have on. They just, like,
1: they've just a great, so well, the the wealth and 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 you know the the experience that he had and I think I mean he's got this this you know he's got these two sides of his brain both operating and uh, with vigor, and you know the fact that he's into this literary stuff I mean I think the clinical psychology certainly you know is definitely part of all that um, but like he's like he seems you know I mean. He's kind of cuddly for uh for uh, an A B seal. saying that, but um, well, probably probably not. But you know, he just and you just, but you would listen to him. You believe what he says. He's a man of his conviction. Yeah. But I will say this though, you know, he could have forced his arguments down our throat and you know been slightly, you know, very. You could even say slightly aggressive in 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 his arguments, but he wasn't. You know, um, no, I, I, and very I, accepting of all points of view. Um, yeah, when we're, we're
0: raising because, you know, I'm, I'm aware, as sure the listeners will be as well, that Chuck writes for, I think it's Kia Post, it's called. So, you yeah. know, you'd imagine that there's like a fairly slanted view there. So, you know, I feel like we, we put it to him fairly that maybe we're only feeling here in on one side of the story. And he, he acknowledged that, you know, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't throw up the, the, the boundaries, he didn't throw up, get all defensive. I think he was like open to, to, to that suggestion, but you know he had some good answers to that as well. Bring yeah, to begin in February again, 2014. You know, yeah. so you know with the Russian aggression. So
1: yeah, he's, he's got he's got his arguments. He's got his ducks all lined up, and he, he said, yeah, I, I, I hope he's right about the nuclear thing. But you know, I I just I do feel like if when when Russia goes on the offensive, it just it's you know it just doesn't seem to be as committed um and hence it's all you know i i know obviously you've got the likes of ukraine you know and and like georgia chechnya and, and all these places that got taken into the the russian empire um mm. but there seems to be a limit you know and has there has been a historical limit to that empire um, and they've never really you know successfully pushed uh much farther beyond that what do you think
0: And what I'm thinking is, is that I've got to go and light the fire because it's getting. Sorry, we'll
1: do do a bonus episode on this one. We'll do a
0: bonus. We'll get into that in the in the week. Sorry about that. We'll go right real deep dive into into all the stuff. Derek, uh, you know, has has massive um, interest and opinions on this, listeners, whereas. I just tried to keep up with them, so I'm 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 bailing on the excuse that I got to light the fire. <laughs> it's actually real. It's getting nippy, and we can't afford to turn on the electricity or the gas. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks to Mr. Okay. Putin. Thanks, okay. Mr. Putin. So you know, I am going to go do that. But Derek, listen. Kill you. um you. Thanks, buddy. That was another brilliant yeah. historian's episode. See you again um, soon. See you soon. Look forward to next. Right.
1: Thanks, Bye. Good luck.